Hey, everybody. How are we doing? Uh, I'm Alex Gray, if we haven't met. It's good to see you here tonight. Uh, hey, I learned something this week, uh, and I will admit it was a little surprising to me. So maybe you guys know this, but there was a study done in the last couple years that found that people from ages 6 to 21 in that age range, almost half, 48% of people are born from communities of color. So that means that this generation, age 6 to 21, this generation is the most radically, ethnically, racially diverse group in all of U.S. history. It's pretty fascinating, isn't it? And so unsurprisingly, this, this group of people, this age group, this generation, it, it has a high value on inclusion, in, in welcoming people in. And so all over the U.S., we're seeing this awesome transformation of cultural spaces that are becoming more inclusive, more diverse. Places like workplaces and schools and communities, online communities even. It's, it's happening everywhere. I guess what I should say, though, is it's happening almost everywhere. Because I can think of at least one space, one cultural area where it, it seems to be lagging a little bit. There seems to be like not quite as much ethnic, race, racial diversity happening. And that, maybe you can guess it, maybe that is the church. Have you guys noticed that? Like in the U.S., a lot of churches, not all churches, fortunately, but a lot of churches seem to be less ethnically diverse than a lot of other places in American culture. Why is that? Like, why do we think that is? Maybe a more specific question that we could ask kind of in that vein, a more specific question might be, why does it seem like there's this common misconception or conception, honestly, that Christianity, it might actually just be a, a white Western religion. I don't know. Maybe you've heard that critique before. Maybe you've heard that question. Isn't Christianity a white Western religion? Personally, I've, I've heard that question more and more over probably the last five to ten years, I would say. I've heard it in more often in more places. And honestly, it's gotten me wondering, why is it why is it that Christianity is often seemingly associated with white Western culture? Well, here's a quick story that might, it might give us a little insight. There's a guy, Warner Salman. So he was an American painter in, in the mid-1900s. And in 1940, there was a Christian magazine that reached out to him and asked him to create a sketch of Jesus' face. And so Salman, he did. And he titled his work Head of Christ. So later, a, a theological seminary in Chicago, they were flipping through this magazine and they saw the sketch and they loved it. So they, they approached Solomon and they said, hey, would you create an oil painting for us based off of this sketch that you made? And he did. And what they did is they gave it out to their graduating class as like a, a graduation gift that year. After that, a, a Christian company, a publishing company, they found this image. They found the painting. And what they did is they picked it up and they started using it in all sorts of areas. They, they made it into prayer cards 
They sent it overseas to soldiers in World War II. They gave it to all these missionary organizations around the world. And suddenly, this image, this painting, it started getting passed around faster and faster, more and more. So places like the YMCA and, and the Salvation Army, they would just pass it out on the streets. And women had it in their purses. They carried it with them everywhere. The, the presidential pastor, he made sure that it was just distributed worldwide. This image started showing up on things like pencils and bookmarks, lamps, clocks. It was weird. It was showing up in places like courtrooms and libraries, schools, you name it, police stations. It was everywhere. Some estimates say that this particular image, it, it was copied over a billion times. That's how many copies exist, according to some estimates. That's wild, isn't it? Like, this has to be a pretty impressive picture of Jesus. This painting, it has to be maybe the best we've ever seen, right? So what does it look like? Well, this is it. This is head of Christ. And I, I mean, in some ways I get it, right? It's beautiful. It's, it's a really well done painting and it kind of weirdly glows almost, right? And in Jesus's face, it's kind, it's inviting. But I think there's an issue. I think there's one problem with this picture. That's not what Jesus looks like. That's a white guy. That's not what Jesus looked like. And I get that, like, you and I, we don't have photo evidence, right? We don't have his yearbook photo. We don't have his ID. We don't really know what Jesus looked like. But historically, this probably isn't a super accurate picture. There's a different guy, Richard Neve, and he is, I want to get this right, he is an expert in forensic facial reconstruction. Very niche job. But what he did is he used the skulls of first century Jewish men to create this depiction right here of what Jesus may have looked like, what he possibly could have looked like. And when it comes to things like skin tone and eye color, facial features and structure, this probably is a lot more what Jesus looked like. But then why is it? Why is it that this other picture, Solomon's picture, this photo, image, painting of Jesus is what we see? Why was this copied a billion times? Why is this what shows up in places like children's books and movies? This kind of Jesus is on stained glass windows. He, he's in your grandma's bedroom. Why? Well, I think one reason could be that before, be, could be because for a long time, for a long time in U.S. history, white Western culture, that was the dominant culture. And so white Americans, as they were thinking about their faith, as they were doing things like reading their Bible and attending church on Sundays, what they were doing is they were applying their own faith to their culture. And so Jesus he started looking a lot more like a white American. And, I mean, to be fair, we all kind of do this. Every culture does this. It's in our human nature, right? So you and me, we do this with our faith all the time. It just kind of happens. But what happened in U.S. history was that Jesus started looking more and more like a white American. 
So his teaching, it started to fit cultural American biases and, and preferences. In the States, the dominant culture, it slowly adapted Christianity so that it started to look more like the culture itself. It reflected American, white American culture. And so now, in a culture today that is changing to be more robust and diverse when it comes to things like background and traditions and culture, it's, it's easy to look at Christianity and, and just ask, why does that look so much like a white Western religion? I, I think it's a fair question. I think in a lot of ways, it's maybe a legitimate critique. But just like Solomon's photo, his image of Jesus, we got to ask, is that accurate? Is that an accurate picture? Is Christianity a white Western religion? Well, one way to answer that is to go directly to the source of Christianity, which is the Bible. It's God's word. And so we can ask, we can look at the Bible and ask, is this the intended audience? Like, is, is the focus Western culture? Is that who Christianity is for? And so we open up the Bible, and, and it doesn't take long. Genesis 1, first chapter of the entire Bible, it, it gives us an answer. It says that when, we, when God created the world, his, his final and his greatest addition to it was people. So this is what it says. In verse 27 and 31, it says this. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. God created mankind. He, he created all people. Everyone that has ever lived on the earth was made by God. And so people from Europe and Asia and Africa, South America, Australia, everywhere, all of humanity, the Bible says, was created by God. And when he looks at us, all of us, he says it was very good. He looks at us and says it is very good. From the beginning, from the beginning of time, we see that God, he delights in creating diverse people. Like, he loves that. He could have created you and me and everyone the same. He could have had us all look and think and act the same, but he didn't want to do that. He delights in diversity. That diversity, it's a very good thing in God's eyes. So Genesis 1, from the get-go, we see that God takes joy in diversity. And then 11 chapters later, just 11 chapters later, in Genesis 12, God, he, he chooses a guy named Abraham, and he chooses him to represent all of God's people and to carry out a really specific plan that he has. So here's his plan. In, in chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, it says, I, God is speaking, I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God said he is choosing Abraham so that, so that all peoples on earth would be blessed. See, God, he is looking to bless, to have people know him. And he wants all people groups, all people groups, not just one, to know him. So just think about, like, 
for example, Mizzou campus. And I, I know not all of you go to Mizzou, and that's totally fine, but it's, it's an easy example because there are people from almost 100 countries that are at Mizzou. So you guys are in classes with some of them. Some of them are, are teaching you in your classes. And these are people that have different languages, different cultures, different backgrounds, ethnicities, and God looks at each and every one of them. So think of the people that you know. Think of the individuals that you know. God looks at each and every one of them, and he wants them to know him. That's been God's plan from the beginning. That's from day one. So now let's fast forward to Jesus real quick. When he steps onto the scene, when Jesus steps into the story of the New Testament, so starting in the Gospel of Matthew, what, what he sees around him is that there are all these racial and ethnic divides that are just standing in between people. And so he sees that, he gets there, and he just starts tearing them down. Like left and right, story after story, he is breaking down barriers. In John chapter 4, we, we see him sitting at a well. And he asks a woman who comes up if, if she can give him his jar so that he can essentially get a drink of water. He doesn't have anything on him. And so we might, we might look at that and be like, oh, it's a small favor. That's not, no big deal. But this is, the way, this is the way the woman responds. Verse 9. The Samaritan woman, so uh, she is Samaritan. That's her ethnicity. She's from the region of Samaria. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. See, this woman, she is shocked. She is like so completely caught by surprise that Jesus is talking to her, let alone asking her for a drink of water. And the reason is that the Jews and the Samaritans, they had like long-standing beef that dated back from like a thousand years almost before Jesus. And so Jews, they saw Samaritans as unholy, as, as like ethically, ethnically, racially inferior. And so the fact that this Jewish man is, is speaking to her, is engaging in conversation, that's just like culturally off-brand. But as this conversation goes on, we start to see that Jesus, he's not just asking her for a favor. He's not just looking for a drink of water. What he is doing is he's actually inviting her into his kingdom. Jesus is a king, and he wants a diverse kingdom. That's what he is looking for. See, he, he at the end of his life here on earth, he, he gives his disciples a, a sort of send-off. Right before he ascends into heaven, he gives them this central mission to live by. So in Matthew 28, verse 19, that mission, it starts by saying, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. So catch that. All nations means not just Western nations, not just predominantly white nations. And we're talking about all nations. Jesus wants a kingdom that represents the entire world. The gospel Jesus' message, it is meant to unify wildly different people together. And that creates something really, really beautiful. Android made this series of commercials like 10 years back, okay? And they were called Be Together, Not the Same. 
And a lot of them were super creative. I liked so many of them, but one sticks in my mind and has for years and years. And if I were to explain it, it would actually ruin it. I would do a terrible job. So we're just going to watch it. So here we go. I love that commercial for some reason. I could watch it over and over again. I just think it's so fascinating. Also, it's just kind of a hilarious concept. Like, it just cracks me up. But I really love it, not just because it's cool, but because of the message that it's putting out there, the, the point that it's making. It's saying that like a piano, which is incredibly a, an incredibly beautiful instrument because of the diversity of its keys, people, we are beautiful because we're all different. God, he's designed the Christian church to be incredibly diverse together, but not the same. And that, that's what makes it rich and, and powerful and attractive. See, when it comes to the Bible, we can be really sure, we can be so sure that God's design, his vision for Christianity is that it was always going to be multi-ethnic, multicultural. Biblically, there's just not really grounds for the claim that Christianity is a white Western religion. Biblically, it's not just for white Westerners. Biblically, it is for Christianity is for everyone. So biblically, that doesn't stand. But okay, what about historically, right? Like biblically, Christianity might be for everybody, but what does the historical narrative say? How has history played out? Some people would say that historically, Christianity, it has spread predominantly, mainly through Western influence, Western cultural influence. Some of you, you guys have professors who, who would teach this in their history or religious study classes or their sociology classes. They, they would do things like they would point to uh, the Roman Empire. So in the year 313, the, the Emperor Constantine, he became a Christian, and, and that made Christianity just a powerhouse in, in history. Or maybe they would point to the long period of Western colonialism, where Western countries, they took control of places in Africa, in Asia, the Americas, and with it, they brought Christian missionaries. And many professors, rightly, would point to American slavery, the slave trade, and, and they would say that Christians used the Bible to, to justify, honestly, horrific injustices, the, the abuse and the owning of people as prop property. So people, professors, you may have professors who have pointed to these things and have said, this is the picture of Christians his Christianity's history. This is how it spread. It was through Western culture's dominance. And I got to say, it, it is kind of true in some ways. There is validity to that claim. Western culture, it has absolutely influenced Christianity, sometimes, often, through selfish motive and horrific injustice. We can't ignore that. Like, we, we cannot, should not turn a blind eye to that. However, if that's the only thing that we're looking at, although it is probably true in many, many ways, if that's all we're looking at, we're actually missing a much larger history. We're, we're missing out on a much fuller story. See, 
in, in all actuality, I, I think it's silly to say, obvious even, but we, we can't forget that Christianity, it started in the Middle East. It was started by Jesus, by a, a Jewish man. And from there, Israel, it, it spread. The gospel, it spread from Israel through people who, who knew Jesus firsthand. So these men, they were called apostles. And after Jesus rose from the dead, they just started traveling around, sharing this gospel message. They started sharing the message of Jesus in new places. So a guy named Barnabas, he, he went to Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he started a thriving church there. Paul, the author of 13 of the New Testament books of the Bible, he over the span of about 30 years, went all through the Middle East to Greece, and he started almost 15 churches in that span of time. In Acts chapter 8, the Apostle Philip, he, he met a guy, an Ethiopian man, on the road, and right there, this guy starts believing in Jesus and is baptized all before he heads back to his home in Ethiopia. Thomas, who, according to Historical accounts, it's not in the Bible, but biblical evidence could point to Thomas, the guy who got the rep reputation uh, of doubting Thomas, if you know him. Historical accounts say that there's a good possibility that he went to places like Iraq and, and India and baptized believers there. So that's right at the beginning. But then within about a, a 200 years of Jesus' life, Christianity, it, it took root in northern Africa, in, in countries like Sudan and Egypt. It became, Africa became its own like hotbed for theologians that ended up being called the church fathers. So there were men who, many of which were ethnically African, like Tertullian, Augustine. If you don't know that, those names, it's totally fine. But these are men who, African men, who have laid, get this, they laid the foundation for the way that we Westerners think about how to interpret the Bible, how, how to view our own faith. They did that for us. And then by the 4th century, places like Ethiopia and and Eritrea in India, they, they all had established churches. Some of those exist today. See, before, I know that was a lot of countries and a lot of days, but here's my point. Before Western culture even was a thing, before it could have any influence on Christianity, Christianity, it was taking the world by storm. The history of Christianity, the history is, is not white. It's not Western. Okay, then what about today? Okay, history is not white or Western, but what about today, right? Like, are things different now? Is the, the claim legitimate that over time, Christianity's kind of been just steamrolled or commandeered by Western culture? Is that true? I mean, the stats would say definitely not. Like, numerically... Numbers show that Christianity is largely not in the West. L look at some of these facts with me. Right now, one billion people follow Jesus in Africa and Asia. That number, one billion, that's, that's double what it was just 20 years ago in these areas. There's an estimated 68 million Christians in China alone. Here's a fun fact. There are more 
there are more Christians attending church in China than all of Europe combined. Wild. Up to 95% of people in the Naga tribes of northern India, a small area, but up to 95% of, of these people identify as Christians. The Iranian church, next slide, the Iranian church is currently the fastest growing Christian community in the entire world, Iran. And globally, women of color, they are the most likely to be Christian in all the world. Not white men, women of color are the most likely to be Christians. See, I would keep going. There was a lot of stats that I sifted through. There's a lot of great ones. But, but what I want us to pay attention to is that if we are watching the world around us, we're going to notice that today, Christianity, it is growing and thriving in places all over the world. Not just the West. Honestly, mostly not the West. If you're someone who is for diversity, if you, are, if you value diversity, then these things, this is really encouraging. Like if you want people, diverse people, to be doing life together, then this is exciting stuff because it means that Christianity is across the globe. It's binding people together, all under the same idea, all under the same belief. We are all living for the same thing. We're all living for Jesus across the world. Uh, Rebecca McLaughlin, she's an author who, by the way, I have drawn a lot from tonight. She has a book called Confronting Christianity, and it's fantastic. She has a chapter on diversity, uh, and so much of it is so good. I would really encourage you to read it. But she says it this way. She says, if you care about diversity, don't dismiss Christianity. It is the most diverse, multi-ethnic, and multicultural movement in all of history. Don't dismiss Christianity as a white Western religion. It never has been. It isn't now, and it won't be in the future. See, Christianity is becoming less and less white by the day. It, by some predictions, by 2050, it is predicted that no one country will have more than 10% of the world's population of Christians. And if that's confusing, what it means is that Christianity is diversifying. It's making its way to new places. It is spreading out. So what we're seeing is that Jesus' name, his love, it, it's making its way to new people groups all the time. God is on the move right now. So let's not miss it. As American Christians, I think it's possible for us to get caught up in our own cultural Christianity, and, and we can miss out on what God is doing around the world. And that would be a shame. We got to look around. I mean, we have to be aware of what is happening in the world. We've got to rejoice when we watch the gospel grow. We need to be praying that more people around the world would, would know Jesus. And in the States, I think it means that we need to lean in not, not pull away from, but lean into diverse community around us, believers that live in life with us. We've got to be doing that with a diverse group of people. That's where the whole kingdom is headed. As the music team comes back up, I, I want to read one last verse. And, and you heard Nick 
read it earlier, but it's just fascinating. It's such a good verse because it is the picture that we are all heading to. So it comes from the book of Revelation, and this is the last book of the Bible. It's a, a picture of a vision that the Apostle John has of the day, of the time when Jesus comes back, when he will one day come back to restore heaven and earth. And this, essentially, is the end of the story that all Christians, that we are all waiting for. So in chapter 7, in verse 9 and 10, we get a picture of what the end of this story will look like. After this, I looked. So John is speaking. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, before Jesus himself. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hand. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This, see, this is the picture of real Christianity. This day, when people from every country and culture and ethnicity are standing together and they are worshiping God as one all together, that's the future. That's the future when we, as a, as a group of believers, as a family, get to worship God together forever. So let's put our hope in that kind of faith. Let's, let's put our hope in the real Christianity, in the real Jesus, nothing less. And while we do, let's live together as the church waiting for this day. Amen.